This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. All right, everyone. Welcome back to the Football Odyssey. This is your host, Aaron Harris. Joining me on today's episode is Jordan Abbott, the secondary coach at Butler Community College. In our conversation, Jordan walks me through his days playing high school football, his transition to coaching, the experience of coaching junior college football, and his defensive philosophy. Any coach or player will surely appreciate Coach Abbott's journey thus far. And if you'd like to follow his insights on football, I've attached a link to his Twitter account in the description. I hope you all enjoy our conversation, and if so, feel free to subscribe and share. As always, thank you for listening, and now, enjoy the show. All right, ladies and gentlemen, Coach Jordan Abbott. How are you, Coach? I'm good, man. Good. Glad to be here. Glad to have you. How did spring ball go for you? Not ideal. Not a typical Butler season for us. Uh, you know, had a very young defense. And was not very, and we were not very good on the D line this year. So that kind of hurt us. We had a couple guys, two or three guys, key players that would have been for us on the D line that opted out or they were due to COVID or they came up just not healthy or whatnot. So it was like, okay, well, that really hurt. And so when you, we ended up having about 10 out of the 11 starters were, you know, either true freshmen or redshirt freshmen that had never seen snaps. So it was, it was a bit of a learning curve this, this spring season. Uh, but we've, we've already hit the recruiting trail pretty hard and got some dudes coming in for the fall. So hopefully we'll reload that way and, and be ready to rock and roll in the fall. So how do you typically approach spring football? I mean, do you kind of look at it as like a blueprint for like what scheme and you're going to run in the fall or is it kind of like to knock the rust off and maybe correct some things from last year? Uh, it's more experimentation, uh, than anything. I mean, yeah, you're, you're, you're grooming your guys to find out, you know, who's going to be the dude, who's going to be new, especially because Juco, it's, it, you're turning over a brand new team every year. So half your team's gone, you know, right after your fall season. Um, so in a typical year when we're in spring ball, it's, we're putting them through 5 a.m. workouts. We're putting them through weightlifting and they're adding weight. They're getting bigger. We're teaching them to move with that new weight they put on their body. Uh, but when it comes to just schematics and everything, we are who we are. We're going to run what we do. Um, but springtime is when we experiment a little bit. So like if I like a new coverage that I've kind of seen through, you know, uh, the NCAA or FBS or FCS teams that I like, I'm like, okay, well, maybe we can implement that here. You know, that's, that's the time we try it out to see if our kids can grasp it, if they can run with it and if they're comfortable in it. You know, if they're, if they are, then we keep it. If not, then, you know, we check it out because what we do right now is, is pretty good. Where do you kind of, where do you get ideas from particularly? I mean, you just said that you watch like NCAA. Are there certain teams that you watch? Uh, I, I like to, I always go and I mean, I'm a big Nick Saban fan. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I, and I know I've heard horror stories about Nick as far as like, you know, what it's like to work for him and all that. But, you know, however you want to slice it up, the man is, really good at what he does and I don't think anybody can argue that um but I like looking at some because like his cover one package is up online and you can go see a lot of that stuff now obviously it's not you don't get into every little thing he does but 
some of the concepts he has online and you're like, that's, I mean, he's got one thing. I can't, I can't remember what it's called. It's mod seven or mod 77, whatever. It's basically one of these coverages we run now, you know, so everything that you think you've thought of or read, you know, but a lot of things are recycled in, in football. So, you know, you think you found something new. Well, Alabama's been running that for, for years and it's just like, well, okay, that's fine. But I mean, so you go there, you look at, uh, you, you try and hit up some contacts, uh, go hang out with some, uh, division one coaches, pick their brains about some things, get on the phone with them and just kind of, you know, try and find some kind of inspiration, just something that's not going to be overly taxing. You know, that's the one thing, you know, Alabama, you know, staying in that same vein. They have so many checks for short motion, for a cross motion, for, you know, the fullback lined up here. So they have checks for every single thing. I mean, they, I mean, they should, they get paid millions of dollars, but at the end of the day, we're junior college system. We overload our kids like that. And it's, you know, we don't, you know, we don't want to overload our kids at all. So we want them to, to play fast. So when they don't have to think as much, it's, it's go fast, play fast and, and they can do what they do, you know. So. Yeah, I mean, it seems like that's kind of like the price of brilliance in a way where it's going to be hard to have to work for a coach. But I mean, what he's doing now I mean, has been like 20 or 30 years in the making when he was in Cleveland, too, you know, like the pattern matching and everything like that. So it's amazing that now it's kind of starting to catch on to everybody else. Right. And he's been doing it and perfecting it and trying to find the next best thing, too. Absolutely. And I mean, that's one of the things I think when he goes and hires people, he wants he wants out of the box thinkers or he wants guys that are, have been head coaches elsewhere and they've, they've amassed some kind of a knowledge to bring to the table for him, you know, and I think that's part of the reason why he, he is where he is and he has done what he's done because he's always finding new ways to, 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 to implement it and, and new, new techniques, new whatever, new whatever, you know, fundamentals, techniques, whatever, and teaching it to these kids and they're just rolling over people every time. So. Yeah, well, and I'm sure be, as a coach too. I mean, you've been coaching for the better part of 10, 15 years now. Yep, 16, I think, right now. So yeah. So it's it has to be a lot easier to get knowledge nowadays than it was than it's ever been with the internet and sites like Huddle and stuff like that. Yeah. It is, you know, and you know, but it, you'd be surprised. Some coaches are very stingy. I mean, <laughs> I, I can imagine. Football's football, and you know, but nobody wants to give away their secrets. So like, you know, when we go to these conventions, and you'll go to and you hear some guys speak. Some of them are great. You know, you go in there and they, they'll give you, you know, and, and, but football is football. Defense is defense. One way or another, however you slice it, cover three is cover three. You know, cover two is cover two. And everybody's got different little tweaks to it here and there. But, you know, some of them are, some of them are great. Some of them will give you the whole thing. They don't care because they understand football is football. You know, um, a lot of people get lost in the terminology. It's like, the, it's, and that's what I always try and tell our kids when they leave. It's that once you pick up the terminology, you're going to realize that, you know, 70, mod 77 is basically void up for us. And they go, oh, oh, yeah, that's all it is. It's just a different name. Everything's the same. But uh, but then some of these guys go in there and they're not giving you anything. You know, they'll just give you some drills and stuff like that. But, you know. It's it's not as bad. It's it's not as bad now, but you can just it's kind of you can kind of see where it goes. But yeah, I've always wondered like where the fine line is because I've spoken to a couple coaches since like starting this show, and it seems to me like you know they're always willing to give a lot of good pointers and some different coverages, but you always kind of wonder, well, from a competitive standpoint, do you want to give too much because then people use it against you? Right. Well, if they know, you know, and that's part of it. 
So if they know exactly what your rules are, they know how to beat you. So that's the, that's the biggest thing. And so some of the guys, but like I said, cover two is cover two. Everybody knows how to play, you know, any college coach and or coordinator on offense knows how to beat cover two. You know, you attack the middle, you attack the, the whole shot on the sidelines. Um, you get try and get that crease between the linebackers and the safeties. But I mean, it, it's just different. There, you know, like I said, there's a fine line, but if they have a specific coverage, like with our void up, it's like, okay, well, maybe we don't want to tell everybody how our, exactly how our rules are, because the moment you know the rules, you know how to beat it. Um, but I mean, it's just, yeah, you're right. It's more of a competitive thing than anything. Yeah, it kind of it kind of turns into that sort of like I know that you know that I know sort of deal. <laughs> and do you do a do you do a lot of seven on seven in the off season too? We we do a little bit. You know, we have to our kids have to be technically enrolled if we're going to be out there and do drills with them. But a lot of our guys this year it's like go home. You know, just because they literally just finished up on the twenty second of May and June classes start I think in on the seventh. So someone will be back for summer school. You know, a majority of them were just saying, hey, go home, rest up. As long as you're eligible and everything like that, then we'll come back in last weekend of July and we'll get rolling. But, uh, but in that point in time, you know, when they're off season, it's just like, okay, because we're not technically allowed to be out there and all that stuff. So it's just kind of, hey, you know, they come into the office. Hey, what do you want to see today? Let's just keep it basic. Run this, 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 and this. Offense is going to run their plays and you guys just go out there and have fun, you know? So, you know, and you're sitting there as a coach kind of looking out the window, just kind of watching it as you can, you know, cause you just can't be there, but you can, you know, distance, you just want to kind of sit there and, and watch them and see how they go. So got your binoculars out. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> go sit in a press box somewhere and just kind of watch and, you know, where you can't have any interaction with them. Right. Yeah, it's crazy how because I guess in college you can't really go to seven on seven camps, right? Like high school does. Uh, no, we can't. Uh, but the nice thing is, is now they lifted the deal. So like when these when they actually have individual high school camps, uh, for like a K State or KU or Florida State and Florida, our guys, you know, can go and can participate in that now. So now they, it's kind of a little. You know, as long as they're not getting banged, and we always tell our guys, like, don't get in, you know, banged up, don't, you know, do the full padded ones or anything like that, but go and get your exposure. Let these guys look at you, let them see you in yeah. person. So, and they can put you through drills, they can give you kind of like a little tryout so they can kind of say, okay, I like this kid, I like how he moves. You know, he's got some good fundamental skills, he's got some good one on ones, you know, stuff like that. Just it's another form of recruiting for them. So. But it's also a good thing for us to get our kids out there and let them run. Yeah, I could see that. Because for, for me, I think seven on seven started taking off when I was in high school. But now it's become like almost a sport in and of itself. It's mm-hmm. crazy to think about. I mean, I don't know if that's something you had to do when you were in high school, but it just kind of seems like I mean, there's even like a league now that's just pure seven on seven. Right. And I think it's I mean, I, there's there's pros and cons to it, obviously, like anything. Uh, and, and when I was in high school, it was we did seven on seven. Just, I mean, because we were so used to seeing, you know, three yards in a crowd and a cloud of dust, you know, because our former head coach at the time was Brent Hall and that was his motto. He was going to run the football and Forrest back in the day was just running the football and Vanguard would air it out a little bit with Coach Castaneda. Um, but so, but some of these, it was the start of people were starting to air the ball out, you know, and so we had to start as a defense, we had to start doing some seven on sevens, but it was nothing like it is now. Like there's a, there's a kid I'm recruiting out here in Kansas and he's never in school. And it's a, it's a miracle 
that I mean, like he's like, oh, coach, I'm, I'm, I was down. He was down in Houston. He was down in Dallas. He was over here, and and I'm just like, dude, when do you go to school? Because he's on one of those travel teams, and I'm like, no wonder you might have to go junior college. You know, you're never in school. You don't have, you know, when do you find the time? It's just so like I don't agree with it if it's gonna pull him out of school all the time. And it's but then the other thing that's lost on it is. It's almost like it's a basketball game more than it's a football game at that point. I mean, yeah, you still you're still learning coverages and you're still learning drops and learning how to read receivers and quarterbacks, which is huge for defensive backs and linebackers. But at the end of the day, you still got to remember you got to stop the run first, you know. So you, you know, there, there's a there's a certain violence to our game that makes it unique. And you know, if you lose touch with that, then you know that's that's not going to be good for you as a as a defense as a defense anyway, you know, so. Yeah. It's kind of like doing like light sparring if you're a boxer and then having to go into a full, full match. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so you and I are from the same hometown of Ocala, Florida and you were born in Ocala, right? I was born and raised. Cool. Did you start playing football at NCYFL? No, actually. Uh, I didn't start until I was, I guess I was in middle school um, at St. John. And, uh, that's when I was allowed to start playing. My mom was very, uh, she was kind of concerned about NCYFL. She always felt like it was, you know, if you're, you know, just, you know, you're still growing and you didn't want to get hurt or anything like that. Now she was more concerned about my brother than she was me. Cause when my brother was growing up, he was, he was really slender. So like, I mean, he's tall, he's six, six, but he's, he was super slender. He was skinny guy. Um, Great athlete, but just very, so my mom was just terrified that he was going to get broken playing football. Uh, you know, me, I was kind of a, I was kind of a pudgy kid, so she wasn't really worried about me getting hurt, but she kind of made the whole deal. If you want to go, you can start in, you know, middle school and go from there. So, uh, I started there and I, I did some JV stuff because if I transferred out, um, cause they try to move you up to varsity, so you have to stay at St. John because if you transfer, you know, if you play, in varsity, there was some weird rule. If you played varsity when I was in middle school, then I would have to sit like a year of eligibility at the high school level because I'd already played, you know, in middle school or something like that. It was some weird between public and private school. Oh, okay. So I always stayed JV and they kept trying to bump me up. And I got to the point one day I said, no, I'm not, I'm not going to high school here. I'm, I'm leaving after middle school. And so, and then I went to Bellevue. So. What, what was it that kind of like drove you to it? I mean, was it sort of like, did you have friends that had done it and you want to give it a shot? Yeah. I mean, you hear, you always hear about friends in high, in, in middle school and guys that play, you know, MCYFL and all this and Pop Warner. And, you know, it's like, well, this is so much fun. And we, we had friends that we were growing up with that they played MCYFL and they were, I mean, they were good little football players and stuff, but, um, and I mean, just, I mean, you're in Florida. So football is, is football, you know, that's the, you know, basketball is great. Baseball is good, but you know, it's just like in Texas. I mean, there's no other sport that compares to it in Florida. It's just, that's what you want to play. You know, you grow up wanting to play football and that, that's what I always wanted to do. So, um, and you know, as a little, as a little kid, you always have dreams, NFL dreams and this, that, and the other, but it's like, you know, the reality gets you, but, but you, it, it doesn't change your passion for the game. It doesn't change that you want to play it. So who did you root for as a kid? I've always been a uh, diehard Bucks fan. My great, my, or my grandfather was always a Bucks fan. Um, and he kind of got me onto it. And this is when they were in the orange and the, and the red, just ugly, the yucks, you know? Yeah. Um, 
And so I was doing, you know, and I actually did a little history lesson with them. And I, you know, I, I did a little, I saw some little documentary on them when they were like the 20, when they first started up and they were like 26 and one, you know, and they finally got over that hump. It took them two years and, you know, but I've always been a Bucks fan. And so like, I was, I was loving it when, you know, and when we got Tom Brady, which, you know, and I rooted, I've rooted against Tom Brady for so long, but then, you know, at first, cause it's like that damn Tom Brady, he's just so good. And then finally it was more of a respect and, you know, and you're like, well, he's just that good. You can't, you can't knock the man. And then he came to the Bucks and all the controversy of, well, is Belichick the best coach or is, or and Tom's a puppet or is Tom just that good? And turns out Tom's that damn good. So <laughs> he can sling it still. So I was, I was super excited. Uh, we were out, my wife and I were out with some friends and when the playoffs were going on, we're out having, hanging out and they're having drinks and stuff. I literally have my phone. I'm wearing my John Lynch Bucks jersey and I'm watching on my phone as this goes off and I'm just jumping up and screaming when they're, when they're doing good and when they're playing Green Bay and they're just looking at me like, what is wrong with you? I'm like, it's the Bucks, man. They're, they're, yeah. they're, you know, so, but yeah, the Bucks have always been my team. So, well, yeah, and you kind of, became a fan right when they were turning the corner, when they mm-hmm. really started turning that franchise around. I mean, yeah, they had Lynch, Sapp, Allstock came in. I mean, yep. they had like a team that was really – uh. and who was the quarterback before uh, Dilfer, uh, Sean King? Uh, Sean King was one of them, and then they eventually got Brad Johnson in there too. So he was he was part of it. But, yeah, and uh, I think that's who it was. And then yeah. – yeah, I think Dilfer was the one that was a quarterback winner. It was him or Brad Johnson that won. It was Brad, Brad Johnson. Yeah. Good. Yeah. The year before was, uh, Dilfer with, uh, what's it called? Or two years before with the Ravens. Yep. How to win ugly. <laughs> yeah. Remember that. That was good. And yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was really good. But, uh, but yeah, Dilfer was a big one. Then they got Brad in there and then they had Michael Pittman, who was just a massive running back. And yeah. Yeah. I remember the Rhino backfield. They had Lorenzo Neal. Uh, and John and all thought that would line up behind him. I was just like, who's stopping that? Who, who wants it? No, nobody wants that. The elephant package. Oh yeah. And then, you know, that defense was just so solid. Brooks was probably one of my favorite players because he's, you know, he's a Florida State guy. I'm a, you know, I went to Florida State and, and, you know, diehard Seminole and, you know, you just watch that guy just go out there and he was still just tearing everybody up and he's only six foot, you know, 230 pounds and he's, Lighting people up and people are calling him Mr. Brooks, not Derek, but Mr. Brooks, you know, so it's, it was impressive. So I think one of my favorite rivalries and it's kind of underrated, I guess it didn't last that long, but was the Bucks Rams from the early 2000s when they had Kurt Warner and Marshall Falk. Those games were unbelievable. And, oh. you know, Kurt Warner has like said it, you know, I knew what defense they were going to run every single time, but I still couldn't stop it. I still couldn't move past it. And that's what's amazing about it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it's just, you know, and that's why I kind of love where I'm at right now as far as junior college and the kids are like, well, what if they do this? I say, who gives a damn if they know what we're calling? Who cares? I mean, they got to beat you. If they can't beat you, it doesn't matter. We could run cover two all day. But if, if their athletes aren't better than ours and we, we are assignment sound and we do our job, then we don't, we know exactly where the ball's got to go and they're not going to beat us. So, I mean, that's the, that's the nice thing about it. So did you play defense in high school? I did. I played a lot. I played everything. Primarily, I was on offense uh, for a while. I played fullback for us at Bellevue because we were a running team. So I ended up. I would. I would go block for uh, my our two tailbacks were uh, Cody Wells and Chris Gignard. You know, so it was. And Cody was kind of more of a thunder, but he had some speed. You know, and then Gignard was the lightning man. He could. He could chop it up and go, and just he was a smaller guy, so he could hide behind all of us. 
And uh, so that was those are my guys that I would block for. And then uh, my junior and senior year, a little bit, they played me. There was, there was a couple of games where I didn't come off the field. Um, and then finally our head coach said, no, he's done with that. I got to get him to focus on offense and stay on offense because we need him here. And they found another guy to play the position I was at. But I'll, I'll never forget that was the – those were some tiring, tiring nights where you, where you really find out what, what a second wind is. Yeah. Whew, that was that was rough, and uh, but it was interesting. I had a big old chunk taken out of my knee, uh, at the top of my kneecap, and you know about I don't know it was probably about the size of a dime, just gash. And I had no idea it even happened. I don't know how it happened. Don't know what it happened. My body had just gone numb after the second quarter. Couldn't feel anything because I was so exhausted. Yeah, there's like a certain out of body experience that happens midway uh, through when you just can't, when you don't even feel pain anymore just from yeah. going so long. Kind of like that, I guess it compared to that runner's high or whatever it is. So yeah. that's exactly what it was for that game. But yeah, I was, I, I came home the next night and my mom, I, I pretty, I think I slept till like three o'clock that next afternoon because I was so tired and it, it felt like a whole day had passed. Do you have any like memories that stand out to you from when you were playing that like you'll think about every, every now and then? Uh, yeah. I think about when we played Vanguard, uh, my, it might have been my junior year. It was me and uh, me and Cody, and it was kind of when we started figuring out what our offense was, because our, our offense coordinator tried to get away from the fullback offense, and he tried to go more spread, and it just wasn't working. So we went back to fullback. But um, and so I put I went back to fullback, and I started you know being the lead blocker, ISO power, you know whatever slice kind of deal. And it was just basically you know. Me and Cody just running up and down the field. Like I wasn't carrying the ball, but it was Cody. You know, I just I really took pride in trying to block for him and, and get him out and get him running. And so we we took over Vanguard. We beat them at Vanguard. And then one of the other ones is when we played Kissimmee Osceola because they were they were a powerhouse and they still are to this day. And we went down there. And we were down fourteen nothing at Kissimmee, and they had a hell of a they had a, they had a great defense that year. And we came back and we beat him 21-14. And it was, I mean, it, you talk about, God, that was a, that was a battle. It was tough. I got, I got lit up a few times in that game and it was, I hit one, I hit this one linebacker and he just laughed at me one time, <laughs> like a brick wall. I was like, okay, this is great. And I still got a, a little scar on my neck from hitting the other guy because his belt buckle or his face mat or his chin strap buckle came off and it cut me. So, so that was a, that was a fun, fun game. But yeah, it's still you still have those little glimmering memories every now and then of them. They're like, yeah, that was fun. That was a good game. Well, I imagine if you have a scar to show for it, it's hard to forget, right? Yeah, definitely is. That can be demoralizing too. Like whenever you're going to hit a linebacker and it just doesn't flinch at all, that can be so demoralizing when you're on yeah. the field. It was huge too. I mean, he was, and I was probably two hundred. I, I was probably about two hundred pounds playing fullback. So it's not like I was some. Mike Allstott running through there, but, but this guy was probably a good solid 240 on a 5'11, six foot frame. I just remember hitting him. He just grabbed me and moved me. I was like, okay, well, I'm going to bring everything to this dude every single time. And it was just, it, yeah, it was a little demoralizing. I'm not going to lie, but yeah, he, it was a fun, it was a fun game. Need to say at the end of the day, you know, it was, you know, and you can't cut in, in high school. So you just got to take it and you got to go. So, but yeah. Now, after high school, you went to play at Weber, didn't you? Mm-hmm. Yep. How, did, how would you describe that experience? Uh, it was eye-opening. 
to say the least. Uh, it was, and it was fun. I had, I had a great time actually. Um, it's a really good college. It's, uh, you know, I, and I probably should have just stuck it out for a little longer and got a business degree out of there, but you know, you, you, you get tempted with some things, but, um, so I went, we went down there and literally it was my, my starting backfield all went. So it was myself, our starting quarterback, Matt Leone and Chris Ginyard. We all, we all went down there together. So, which was kind of cool. Um, but you know, it, it was interesting. You get down there and you find out, okay, you're a freshman. So you get the freshman treatment and this, that and the other. And, um, it, I mean, it was a fun experience. I wouldn't change anything, you know, except for the fact that I got way too many concussions, found out what a concussion was down there and didn't realize I had concussions until I, I learned what they were in college. I had a few in high school, but I never knew what they were. I just, you know, back in the day, it was like, you know, we just got dinged. Oh, okay. Well, we're get your here. bell rung. Yeah. I just got my bell rung. We're fine. Yeah. And then I got down. Uh, so I get to Weber, you know, within two seasons, I had seven and, you know, I was just okay. And they, at the time, the, the speed re or the revos or the revolutions were the new helmet, you know, at the time. And, uh, they went and brought me this, they bought me this brand new $200, $300 helmet. And I kept popping the air bladders in the helmet because I would, you know, I'd leave with my forehead a little bit, my face mask. And so I, I would go head to head with some of these linebackers because I was like, no, I'm, I'm going to try and knock him out every time. So, you know, that was, that was my, my goal as a fullback. I'm, I'm going to bring the hit to him. He's not going to bring it to me. So, and so I kept doing that. And, you know, I, I, I uh, definitely knocked myself out of my career, but that's fine. It's, it was fine. What was like, I op- was that sort of like an eye opening experience that you were referring to, or was there something else too that kind of opened well, your eyes to something else? Well, it just kind of gave me my first look at NAIA and their rules because I had a, at, when I was there, I had a 27 year old tailback at one point. I'm 18 years old, 19 years old walking into this place and it, the rules of NAIA are so much different than anybody else because when you stop, and I don't know if it's changed since then, but I know if you stop playing and you, you stop going to school, your clock just stops when you stop. So you can come back and start playing. So we had this one kid, uh, when I say kid, he was a grown man, uh, <laughs> Tolson. And he ended up actually getting like a tryout with the Jaguars. He was just so massive. I don't know if he ever did anything with them, but I mean, he came in, he was bigger than his fullbacks, you know, and I'm like, I mean, he looked like a Greek god. Uh, his shoulders were probably, you know, he's broader than a doorway and his waist was probably, you know, I don't even know. It was tiny, you know, but he'd line up a tailback and you're just like, okay. But, you know, I'd have to tell him which way to go every time. But, you know, other than that, he was, he was impressive. But yeah, so that, that was kind of, you know, interesting. And just in Florida in general, you had plenty of athletes that either didn't make it or didn't get the looks. And so we're playing with these guys and it was, it was just, it was interesting. It was just a, it was a fun experience. Really was. I really enjoyed it. Our, Our school was right here on a, on a lake. You know, so literally our dorms backed up right to a lakefront property. You're like, it was just lake. So you could just literally walk out of the dorms and we had a little beach area. So if you wanted to in your downtime, you just go lay on the beach, you know, right there by the lake. And they always had a party at the end of the semester. And it was really, it was a really cool deal. Yeah. It's a cool way to decompress after practice too. Uh, yeah, it was pretty neat, you know, but myself and Matt were just so driven on wanting to play. So we'd, we'd go out there, we'd sneak out there in the middle of the night. We'd break out after curfew, go to the tennis courts and we'd work on our, our exchanges, our openings, on our plays and stuff like that. We'd run little, little drills and stuff like that. It was, it was funny. It was a good time. Do you think people underestimate the talent that's in NAIA? Absolutely. 
Absolutely, they do. Because, uh, I mean, and I think I did, too, until I got to here and I found out that some of those guys that, that come to junior college because they have to have the grades to get out. And we've had so many guys that were freaks that they didn't make the grades. And they got to go because, you know, regardless of where you go, you still got to do the work. You still got to try. You got to go to class. And those guys that didn't do it, uh, you know, they just they got to have a home somewhere, you know. Yeah. Uh, and so we've had a few D linemen in the past and I've probably had a, a DB or two that have gone on and they've got to, you know, they, they could have if they do an AI. They, they, they would just tear it up because they're just such good players. Yeah, I, I had a, I have a buddy that played D3 football at Alfred University up in New York. And, you know, I, I kind of was curious and I asked him, you know, it, sort of a similar question though, is, do people underestimate football at like the D2, D3 level? And he said, you know, we had plenty of guys that could have played D1, but for whatever reason, they chose to go to Alfred. So it's just crazy to think how, you know, the talent level could be like so razor thin between any level, you know? And a, yeah, and a lot of it has to do with, oh, hey, that guy's not 6'4", and he's not 230 pounds, or, hey, you know, and I, I'm, we're doing our spring recruiting, so I'm going through and looking at rosters, and I'm looking at film and everything like that, so you see all these guys, the average height of most, a lot of these guys that I'm looking at in, in North Florida, are, you know, maybe six foot, that's the average, you know, and then, you know, there's guys, there's so many guys that are 5'8", 5'9", 5'10", that are 160 pounds, 155 pounds. And it's just like, yeah, they, they don't have the length everybody wants. They don't have the size. They don't have the, now obviously there's five, nine and five, 10 guys that are going on and clearly, but they're absolutely freaks and they're just tearing it up. So they, they demand your attention. So. Yeah. You would figure like in the age of like the sub package that you could find a role for everybody if they have the athleticism, regardless of like their physical drawbacks. Right. So did you know that you wanted to be a coach, like from the get-go? Uh, I didn't. No, not initially. Once I once I found out my playing career was over, yeah, I, that's when I kind of transitioned. I was like, well, you know, and that was kind of funny. I met, um, it was so funny. Uh, the guy that ended up being like a GA for us at Weber, uh, Tony Pegararo. Um, he's been a he was a he was a D coordinator at Southern Miss, and he's I can't think of where he landed now. We had talked the other day, but he landed again somewhere and uh he was our GA at the time on defense and he kind of gave me an option he goes hey I can get you two things because he knew I was going to leave and go to Florida State because my brother was up in Tallahassee and I was like you know I'm going to just go up there go to school it's street school you know just at least finish it out because you know they're sitting there telling me I better be careful all these concussions and he goes well I can get you one or two things I can get you a student coaching job or I can get you a walk-on spot at Florida State he goes you're athletic enough you run they'll let you be a walk-on and all that stuff and at the time, it was the starting linebacking core was Ernie Sims, Buster Davis, and Lawrence Timmons. And you had Eric Church and Geno Hayes that were on the roster, too. I'm like, you know what? I think I've had enough concussions. I don't think I want to do that anymore. I mean, I can't imagine going and hitting those guys in practice. And so I was like, I think I'll take the student coaching job. And so that was kind of that was a, that was a great experience, too. So. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a Steeler fan, so Lawrence Timmons stands yep. out pretty well in my memory. And the, I mean, Troy Polamalu has always been kind of like the anchor of that defense, yep. but there was a there was a two or three year period where Timmons was the best player on that defense. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there was there there was one year it was like it must have been 2010 when To was playing for the Bengals, mm-hmm. and Lawrence Timmons is running down the field with him and picks off a pass. I mean, he's yep. covering a wide receiver. That's incredible. 
Oh yeah. Well, he was a when he was at Florida State, he'd go play gunner on on kickoff or not <laughs> kickoff, not on kickoff, but on. Uh, well, I think he was on kickoff too, but he was on punt team. He's lined up as a gunner. This is a linebacker, and people are just going, "What is that?" Because they want to know who he was because he was wearing eighty three. That was his number in college for a little bit, and I'm just like, "Who is this cat?" Well, that's a linebacker, and he's flying down there and just smacking people. And I'll never forget uh, my first year there. Tebow was a freshman, and the Gators were just, oh god, they were chomping about Tebow and chomping about how great he is. And I mean, and he, and rightfully so, he ended up being a great guy and a great, great competitor and great all that. But he was a freshman, and he hadn't played against. Lawrence Timmons yet. And so I think Timmons was very quiet, very, he doesn't say much. I think he kind of took it personally. And he, I just, I'll never forget it, man. He put Tebow down that game. I mean, Tebow was trying to run him. Timmons was at the line and knocking him back, taking him. So he basically made Tim Tebow nothing in our game. And so, you know, Chris Lee and I think, who was it? There was another guy and we lost to them by a step because Michael Ray Garvin, our, he was our punt returner, kick returner, and we had a kickoff taken back, and he literally stepped out maybe half an inch on the sideline, which would have been the, the game-winning touchdown for us. And they caught it, and they called it, and I was like, oh, you got to be kidding me, because the, the entire Doe Campbell Stadium erupted. And we were like, we won. We just beat the Gators. This is awesome, blah, blah, blah. And then, and then come to find out, you know, the replay came back, and we're like, oh, you got to be kidding me, just by half a step, half a step. It was it wasn't uh, – Game of inches. Yes, no question. So, like, what was the hardest part about adjusting to like life as a coach? I mean, when you're obviously as a student coach, you know, you're at the very bottom of the food chain. So, like, what was hardest for you about assimilating to that part of the game, coming from being a player? Just, I mean, initially, because you, you don't realize how much work is put into it. You know, as a, as a player, or a, you know, depending, you know, once you get up older and you're in college for a little longer, you you understand what's going on. But you know, as a, as a, you know, as a, as a reg, you know, when I was just a freshman, so I had no idea what, how much work went into this. I knew there was a lot of work, but I didn't know how much. And so, and so we were basically doing GA work when I got to Florida State, and to the point where I remember I was. Uh, having lunch with a friend and the coach that, you know, one of the coaches texted me and said, Hey, I need you to the office now. So it's like, all right, box it up. Let's go. And so it, it, it was, it was quite, I mean, that was, that was interesting to see how much these coaches were at the office and until, you know, they're, they're there at 7 a.m. And then they're not leaving until 10, 10 30 at night, you know, maybe even later, depending on. And then even if they go home, you still got work to do that. You got to help them prep for tomorrow. So, it, I mean, it, it was all good stuff. I mean, it taught you just the learning curve of it was probably the, the hardest thing of just learning how much coaches put into, you know, game plans, preparation, just to, because, you know, there's a lot of people who still think, oh, college football coaching, they have it easy or, high, you know, because they think it's like high school where there's a period in high school where they're getting off. Well, shoot, some coaches maybe, but the ones that are always constantly winning and pushing themselves and pushing their players and they're, they're getting them out. Those guys work year round. They don't stop. You know, there's, there's off season waste. There's conditioning. There's training. There's just so much to it that, you know, the general consumer of football never sees. And, you know, so, and even, even some of the players, because once you're done with practice as a player and you're done with your meetings, you go back home and you work on, you know, studying classes, tests, quizzes, papers. You don't see that the coaches are still there till 1030 at night, unless you have a late night meeting or whatnot, you know, so. 
Yeah, football is definitely like that sport that has that obsessive quality to it. I mean, if you're someone who obviously dedicates yourself to being a coach, you are, you often kind of see, and you you don't find it really too much in other sports, but these guys really just you know eat, sleep, and drink football twenty four seven. It's amazing. Oh yeah, I mean, they're, they're, you can yeah, you're right. They they can get obsessed with it, you know. But at some point, you gotta you gotta pump the brakes at some point and just yeah, you know, and be like, okay. Take a step back because at some point it becomes overkill and it becomes too much. And when you get overloaded like that, then nor- normally you're trying to overload your kids and then your kids are being like, whoa, coach, that's, this is, you know, you're trying to pile to them. And so it's just, you got to recognize when, when enough is enough and when you're, when it's overkill and when it's not, you know, there is a fine line with that. How did you find that line? Was there like one instance where you said, okay, I need to learn to separate, yeah. separate my life and football? Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I mean, you kind of really find out when, you know, you become a dad again. I've just been recently blessed with a, with a son. He's about, he's about to be two in, in July. And man, there's days where it's just like, I just wanted to get home and see my kid. So it's just a race. But, um, but as far as like the football coaching aspect of it, you know, there's been times where I've, you know, cause I was, a, I was, I was absolutely a grinder, you know, and I would, I would stay up till, I don't even know. There was, you know, a big rivalry week. I was up to the office one night till 3 a.m., you know, and uh, just drawing routes, making sure I knew everything. And and then I'm sitting there and I, you know, and then I'm trying to translate all this stuff to these kids. And I'm trying to tell them, hey, on this one, when he does this, he does a short motion, it's this. And when he does this, it's that. And then they, you, 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 while you may grasp it, they don't grasp it. You know, they, they, you got to remember that you've been doing this a whole lot longer than they have. And, you know, your knowledge is probably going to be far superior than what their knowledge is. And they're still learning. And you can there's a there's a period where you can overload them and then they then they can't think and then they can't process it and they can't play fast. And it's just like, OK, I can't I can't push him. I can't dump all this on him. You know, I can't give him all. This. So I give him the main points he needs to understand, OK, if they move to this formation, we got to check here. They got to do this. They go there. And then that's where we as coaches got to be, you know, we're supplemental at that point. Hey, hey, watch this, watch this. When he, when we see that guy trigger or we see that guy's alignment or we see that he's light on his hand, you know, we, we have to help them supplementally there because eventually now eventually they will get it, you know, if they continue to study and, and train and learn. But, you know, that's where our, our job has to be. Okay. Give them this much and then eventually let them go. And then they'll, they'll eventually be able to grasp the whole thing. But, Overload them too early can just can fry them and burn them out too. So that's part of it. Yeah, sort of like a paralysis by analysis. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Was uh, Bobby Bowden was the coach when you were at Florida State, right? Yes, he was. Did he give you? Did he ever give you any like words of advice when you were going <laughs> on in your career? Uh, no, not really, because Coach Bowden was. Uh, I mean, he probably knew who I was. He just probably didn't know my name. Mm-hmm. Um. He was, for the most part, he was just, he was in his office, like, a lot. Like, he, he'd be watching film. He, he'd be in there watching his film, and, like, I just, you never realize how much crap a head coach has to do. And at that point in time, Coach Bowden, I mean, I, I still remember they had those big uh, mail carts, you know, full of stuff, you know, and just full of footballs and autograph paraphernalia, all that stuff, that literally he had to sign every single one of them. You know, and so like there's a so and I'm looking at these big ass mail carts and I'm thinking that's got to at least take two or three hours for him to sign all that stuff. And that's just I mean, 
all the crap he had to go through. So like he never really got a chance to leave his office. You know, he had this, he had an 8 a.m. meeting with his staff meeting, you know, which I wasn't always there for because obviously it was, it was for the, for the full time coaches and the GAs. And then we were always in class anyway at that point in time. So he would have a meeting at, at eight o'clock in the morning. Then you have a meeting at one o'clock after lunch. And they talk about, you know, they did their daily devotional in the morning and then they did, uh, and then probably did some recruiting, I think, in the morning and the afternoon with all getting practice scheduled and what they want to do, all that, and then go from there. But, you know, you see him in passing, you know, he'd be, hey, buddy, you know, that's basically Coach Bowden at the time. And, and, but that was about it. I mean, my, my guys that I always interacted with were Coach Andrews and Coach Steele and, uh, Coach Jody Allen and, uh, James Colsey, who's now coaching, he was a GA at the time, who's now coaching in Canada. Um, I think St. Mary's is where he coaches now. Um, and then you had Odell Higgins, who it was just, he was a car, man. He was so funny sitting there. He's, he's been doing it for so long, but he was such a cut up. And so knows exactly what he's talking about. And, but just as a, when the staff was there, I mean, he was, he was always cracking wise and cracking jokes and making things funny. So, was there anything that you learned from him just through observation, the way he conducted practice or, I guess just his overall approach to the job. I mean, he just, he let the great thing about coach Bowden was, is he was never really a micromanager. Like, I mean, he did, I guess to a respect, but he let his coaches coach, which was the nice thing. So when he hired you, okay, I'm not going to sit there and be over your shoulder every second of the day. He let his coaches coach, you know? And like, so, and when it came to practice, he gave all, like he was letting coach Andrews, he let, that was Coach Andrews' baby. Coach Andrews was in charge of how the, the practices were run and how we did things. And, and so and I think that that's what led to so many of those, the, the toughness factor of, of Florida State for the longest time is because Coach Andrews is such a, he's, he's a, he's cut from, you know, Bear Bryant, you know, he played for Bear Bryant. So he, he's cut from that similar cloth and just, you know, uh, it was funny. I was listening to, uh, Deion Sanders' podcast the other day and he was talking about Coach Andrews and how, how he's kind of, he built himself out of that. And, uh, and I'll tell you what, when he's on the field, he's a different dude. I mean, yeah. it's not day personality. It's like a different split personality. It's like when he came out of the locker room, his face was already beat red. And he's just, he's walking out to the practice field. And he's just going because that was his responsibility. So he was all charged up about it. But, man, you get back in the office and Coach Andrews is, turns into Grandpa Andrews. He's the nicest dude you've ever met. Super quiet. Doesn't say much. And just, I mean, he was probably one of the coolest dudes you ever met. So... Yeah, some guys, some guys just have that switch where they can go from game face to being yeah. normal. Absolutely that dude. He is absolutely that dude. Is so how did, how did you make the jump over to Butler? Uh, well, so after Florida State, I went to Valdosta State. I got a GA job there. And so I was there for about three years. Um, and then I was actually thinking about getting out of the coaching game for a minute because it's like trying to find a job was just so hard. Really? And, uh, so, and then we had a safety that came, uh, uh, Harrison Dryling came from Butler to us. And we had another guy that came to us, Ryan Schrader, who ended up playing for the Falcons. He was a Butler guy too. So like I, and I got to coach Harrison for a little bit, you know, I was a GA, so I got to work with him and coach a little bit. And, and so I, I was talking to him one day. He goes, well, hell, that, he goes, the, the DB job just came open at, at, uh, Butler. He said, I know the D coordinator really well. Do you want me to put your name in? I said, yeah, dude, absolutely. So Harrison reached out to who is now our head coach, uh, Tim Schaffner. And, you know, I'll never forget the response. He goes, yeah, we got 200 resumes. What's one more? You know, so I was like, well, this is great. They got 200. So, all right, so that's fine. So, uh, but it just kind of goes to show you this is, you know, it's a who you know business. And 
So uh, I got on the phone with the head man, Troy Morrill, who is a legend uh, when it comes to junior college coaching and, and, and everything. But, and uh, we talked, I think, the first day for about half an hour or so just in general. And then I talked to the shopper the next day for half an hour or so on the phone. And then, and then Coach Morrill the next day again. Talked to him for about 30 minutes or so. He goes, well, we'd like to get you out here for an interview. Okay. And so get on a plane, go all the way out there and stay there for, for, it was like a two day process, you know? So I stayed the night, ended up staying at Coach Morrill's house with his family, which great family. Uh, his daughter just graduated high school now. When I met her, she was just this tiny little thing. She was adorable. Um, she was, uh, probably the first friend I made at Butler outside Coach Morrill. And, uh, and then at the second day, you know, and, and the nice thing was Coach Morrill actually picked me up from the airport. It wasn't just some GA or what. It was him. He came and picked me up, brought me in. I mean, so, so that's that's how I got to uh, Butler. That's encouraging whenever he picks you up, I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, was, I was taken back. I was like, man, the headman's actually picking me up. This is kind of weird, you know, because like, you think, you know, you see – You've seen how D1 guys do it and you've done it because you're a GA. You know, you're like, okay, well, I'm going to go get this guy from the airport and bring him back. And so the fact that the head man picked you up, it was like, okay, well, that's, that's interesting. You know, it's, you're, you're almost just like, okay, so you know, you're riding in the car and you're like, I don't know what to do with my hands. I'm just kind of a little nervous already, just kind of talking to him. And you didn't know what to expect because you think you'd have a, you know, a GA or somebody that could pick you up and you'd be like, okay, well, I can kind of pick his brain about, you know, What's the head man like? What's this guy like? And just kind of really get, you know, but I mean, he is, he's as genuine as he was in, in the car and, and, and coach shopping is the same way. So. Yeah. There's definitely those moments where you're micro analyzing every single last word you say. <laughs> you don't want, you, you don't want to sound like an idiot. Oh, absolutely not. Yeah. So it's just everything's on your best behavior. And like, I literally sat there and I had buddies that were telling me at the time, oh, I mean, you got to get a suit, man. You got to get a suit. And I'm like, a suit. I was like, okay, I mean, you know, you're a broke college kid, you know, suit. What are you talking about, suit? But you know, I mean, that's what these D1 guys were doing. You so you go get a suit and all that. And so I, you know, I, I just said, all right, Coach Morales, it's, and he, he kind of touched base on. He goes, look, he goes, you know, hey, the, we're very casual out here. You don't need to, you know, you don't need to get a suit. You don't need to be suited up or anything like that. You know, just dress comfortable, casual, and we'll be fine. So I mean, I now obviously you take that with a grain of salt. So I, I was out there in some nice slacks and a nice shirt, you know, the first day and everything like that. And I realized it's, it's as casual as, because I think he might've been in, he might have flip flops on and he was in shorts and he had a nice little grizzly polo on, but like he wasn't super dressed up. And our, and our head coach now, Coach Hoffner, he is, he is no slave to fashion. He is, uh, he is very, very, he, he, he is very relaxed and, and comfortable. So when he came in, I was like, Okay, I might be a tad bit overdressed, but that's okay. That makes sense. So it, it was fine. It was it was very it was very pleasing to see that they were very casual, laid back. Because that's kind of how I am. I'm a jeans and t-shirt guy and ball cap. You know, that's that's my comfortable spot. So yeah, there's always the coach that just really doesn't care what he wears at all. Right. <laughs> yeah. Even, that, even right. if other people are dressed casually, he takes it to a whole new level. Yeah, that's that's so, him. That's him. Um, and it's, it's funny because I, you know, it, I mean, he's, he's great. He's a brilliant mind. Um, he, it's just, and, and normally that's, that's what it borders on, you know, you're, you're, you have some kind of brilliance somewhere and, I, and he's, he's brilliant when it comes to defense. And, and so like, he just, just doesn't care. He's just, he's comfortable and, and he just relaxes. So it's pretty neat. So 
in in the world of like community college football, right? It's like most people, I think, when they think of it, they get the um, they probably think of last chance you. Yes. Yeah, I've only I've only seen the first season and I liked it, but I'm I'm curious to hear as someone who's like associated with it, who's right in the middle of it. Like, would you say like your experience has been similar to what you see on that, or do you think it's kind of on a school by school basis? We don't see that at all. Um, honestly, there we have a, our culture is way different. Um, and honestly, Netflix approached Coach Morrill back in the day, and he's turned he's turned it down. You know, he turned it down, and we've turned it down since. And they've come they've kept coming to us. They wanted to come see us. They wanted to come see us. And we sat there and go, "Look, guys, you're going to be bored." You know, because our biggest issues are kids not going to class or kids, you know, miss the study hall or you know whatever. I said we don't have these. You know, because that was we would we'd run them out. You know, if they, if they were pre, total prima donnas, and obviously, you know, you discipline them and you you push them and you know you get them going. But we didn't have all these huge issues that you know, like Independence was having, where players would skip practice or this, that, and the other, or you know, getting in fights with coaches, stuff like that. We don't have that, you know, and and that's you know that's not who we are, and that's not what we're doing. It's just like, well, look. Either you're here to play football and go to school and this is, this is, you know, you want to go to division one. Okay. Well, this is what you got to do. And all this other stuff is just, it, it's no, we don't need it. So either do what you said you came to do and do this or, or, you know, there's several other junior colleges you can go to and we'll help you. You know, and that's the other thing. We just don't, we're not that group that if a kid can't cut it, we're just like, all right, well, you're on your own. You know, we help try and find those kids homes to go to, whether it's in the JUCO whether it's an NAIA program, D2, D1, whatever, we'll try and help those kids get out as long as, you know, they don't try and put a black eye on the program, you know, just like anything else. But, like, for you as a coach, do you find it, I guess maybe not frustrating because if you've been in it long enough, obviously you know how the game is played, but seeing that guys are constantly trying to move up to go somewhere else, do you kind of find that you have limitations on – or I guess limitations on how you approach your job that if you want to kind of start doing some certain schemes with players that are going to be there for a while, you can't really do because you have players coming and going, or do you just do your thing and whoever's there you'll work with? Oh, I mean, you recruit to what your scheme is a lot of times. And, you know, like this year was a, was a, you know, it depends on what you have to change it and adapt it to each, each group, because sometimes, you know, they could be doing great in high school, but then you're teaching them new techniques and they just can't get it. You know, in high school, some of those guys were, Hey, go lock that guy up and, you know, don't worry about anything else. So they've never been taught true man. They're just like, okay, well, I'm the best athlete on the field. I can go lock that guy up and not have to worry about anything. So they have zero technique. They have zero fundamentals. And so when you start teaching them fundamentals and technique, they're like, uh, wait, what? And it doesn't process for them. So, and some of these guys, it's just like, okay, so this year we weren't a great man team this year. You know, we still, we can still run some man here and there. But, you know, it's not like years past where, you know, 75% of the snaps we were taking, you know, were in man coverage. So this year is more, we were in cover three. So we were really good in cover three. That was our, that was our base, you know. Um, and so a lot of it was cover three and then we stayed in zone a lot. So it all depends on, you know, some, some kids will grab zone better. Some kids grasp man better, you know. And so you just kind of try and do your best to adapt. You know, you give, you have a, you have, you know, we have a, we don't have a huge playbook or anything like that. We have about, I don't know, probably 12 or 13 different coverages we could run at any given point in time. And then you just kind of tailor it down to what they're great at and go from there. So how would you like describe your defensive philosophy? Cause obviously you, you adapt, but I mean, do you have like certain principles that you want to abide by? 
Yeah, we're aggressive. We're we're going to heat up the quarterback, we're, and that's on our defense. It's that's never going to change. Um, as long as you know head, our head coach is still the defense coordinator and he, he does everything, he's he's never going to change that attack philosophy. Like, okay, I'm going to put pressure on you and see if you can handle it. You know, and once that quarterback's been hit a few times, his demeanor changes. You know, depending on and, and every now and then you'll find a guy that his demeanor doesn't change, and you're like, okay, well now it's a real now it's a real fight. You know, we had a we had a quarterback we played in uh, 13 at Highland. Man, he was really good. We hit him a few times here and there, and I mean they were really good about getting the ball out quick. And man, he was he was a rock star. And then the first game we played him, you know, and then we figured out how their blocking scheme was going. And then in the, in the his tune changed the second time we played him in the playoffs. At the time we had playoffs back then, and we played them and we sacked him 13 times in that second game. So, I mean, but he, he took it in and you know, you got to tip your hat to those kids that can just sit there and take it, you know, um, and, and take those shots. And so, cause it's not an easy job when somebody's barreling down on you and you got a, you got some 300 pound D line and that's about to hit you and you, you get to stare down the barrel and chuck that thing. So, but defensively, we're going to heat you up and see if they can handle pressure, you know, and that's, um, and we've done that with several quarterbacks that have gone on to FBS level and done some good things and, it always works. You know, if you can get pressure on them, you know, it changes how they feel and it changes their comfortableness in that pocket. So, yeah, as much as it's cool to watch like the mobile running quarterbacks, it's always great to see someone just duck their shoulder when pressure's coming and just step up in the pocket and launch it. I, mean, I think that's why like Tom is still fun to watch because he's such oh, yeah. a, in, in a lot of ways, he's still a throwback, even though he's still playing. Absolutely. Yeah, he, he is. He's still, he's still got that old school mentality, you know, I mean, well, he's, He's still part of the old school, you know. He came yeah. from the old school, so I mean, he's, what is he? Forty three now, forty four. He's dude. It's a, it's amazing watching him play. So. Do you think also coming from like since you've been in college your entire coaching career, has it been easier for you to kind of keep up with trends on offense in terms of like the spread and you know trying people guys trying to get out in space because it seems like some guys for a while didn't really know how to respond appropriately but then defenses i think in some way started catching up so like how did you kind of adjust your philosophy to keep pace with the the offensive side of the ball uh the biggest the biggest change was when we because for the longest time we we only played a little bit of man uh when i first got here and so everything was zone. But when the RPO game came back into it, you know, because zone read's one thing, you know, the zone read was never really attacking you downfield. They had the zone read bubble and they had the zone read hit. So, well, that's just, for us, that was just per, per, uh, perimeter runs. So mm-hmm. we were like, okay, well, that can be stopped with cover two. That can be stopped with, you know, loose quarters, whatever you want to call it. And so that's not an issue. But when the RPO game came and they're starting to attack right at the linebacker level because they're getting, you know, a little, little uh, run fake and they have to honor that run fake and then they were just dunking them behind it now that changed everything so we had to start progressing and go uh it was kind of like a bastard version of man or one man free is what we did okay. um, where you can just take away so the linebackers can play fast and then you have a safety right there that can drive on that slant and go take that guy out right now so and it's kind of a Okay, you're gonna, you may get the ball, you may complete it. It's kind of like a bait, but understand your receiver is gonna get drilled on this play. You know, so, and we'll see how much he wants to take, keep taking that shot and keep taking that shot, keep taking that shot. And, you know, and we, and we put that defense in, we ended up that year. It was, it was really impressive. I had no idea. I didn't, you know, I don't pay attention to our stats and what we do defensively. I just, as long as we're focused on what we need to do. And I, I'm pretty quick to, as soon as that last game's over, I don't even think about it anymore until next season and I move on to the next one. 
Um, but our head, you know, we always do interviews at the end of the season with our head coach, and he pulls in and goes, did you realize that season it was like 17? Because, you know, we only gave up about, on average, 97 yards a game passing. And I said, what? And he's like, yeah. He said, wow. So it was it was impressive. We were the number one passing defense in the country. But, you know, you think about under 100 yards a game on average, it was just it was just stupid. You couldn't believe it. it was, I mean, just stupid video game numbers. And I was like, wow, that was, that was impressive. But, I mean, so that that's what we did. And it, it's impressive. It, it works. Now, obviously, years in the league, they start to figure out what you do and how to do this and that. But, I mean, if you're pretty good in man, you can play bump and run coverage on, on the edge, you know, and we can, we can apply pressure on that quarterback. It makes things a little bit more difficult. He's got to force that ball out. You can kind of predict what routes they're going to run. You know, it's either going to be a slant, it's going to be a, a hitch, or it's going to be a fade, you know, because yeah. he's not going to have time to sit that, sit back there and hold it. So there's only a few select routes they can run when you when you're applying that pressure. So and if you can get your kids to understand that, it's a it's going to be a good deal. It's going to be a good deal for you. Do you you coach the entire defensive backfield? Uh, yeah, I mean I oversee all of it. We got a corners coach um, now, uh, and the past couple of years they have, which is nice because teaching man to teaching off man and teaching press man, you know, there's, there's similarities, but there's different techniques and you got to be able to, you know, it, and that just takes so much time to do. So uh, I have a guy that helps me out in the secondaries. Uh, right now it's, uh, Mathis Thomas, great guy. Uh, he's from Orlando originally. He's our corners coach. He's a ball of energy and he just, he helps, he helps and he takes over the corner. So, in, you know, that first year he got here, uh, you know, naturally you got to kind of, talk to him, show him, hey, this is what we do, this is this, this is that. And then, you know, once he got it, it's like, okay. And you just watch him handle it and run with it. It's like, cool, perfect. I don't have to worry about that anymore. He's got that. And now, I, you know, I'll still oversee it and, and look at some things and say, hey, let's, this guy needs to step up. But he's running it great right now, so I don't have to worry about the corners at all, which is a huge, you know, it helps. It just frees me up more time to coach those safeties you know, and get their eyes right, get them in the right position because there's just so much more reads and checks and adjustments that this, our safeties have to make in the secondary because our, our safeties make all the adjustments with the coverages. So that's that's their job. So anytime there's a motion, anytime there's a check, anytime there's a specific formation, they're the ones that have to adjust it all. So, you know, so I, I you know, I can get to spend more time with them. We can get a little bit more intricate, not too much to overload them, but, we can get to, you know, hey, let's go ahead and check to this and make sure we're lined up here. Hey, get him right, move him over, you know, just stuff like that. So, which is nice. So, are there like certain, uh, I don't know, I guess like carnal rules or maybe traits that a safety should have or needs to have to be successful, regardless of what kind of scheme they're playing in? I mean, I think so, honestly. Um, it depends on who you ask and what, and, how good how good the high school coaches are at, at teaching them and whatnot and um because in some high schools it's just like okay just sit the post and read the quarterback well you can do that when there's only one great player on that offense and mm-hmm. they only got one passing threat you can literally sit there and sit the post and basically you know where that ball is going you can just watch the quarterback um you know and, and a lot of those guys are have gotten away with that they just stare at the quarterback all day and some coaches can teach you how to read the quarterback. I'm not one of those guys. I'm, we're going to, our head's going to be on a swivel. We're going to read routes, read releases, where you, you know, and once you identify what the concept is, now you have an idea of where you need to be. 
you know, and then you can get your eyes back and look at the quarterback and see where he's looking and see if it's, if he's looking at our side or who can you rob and, and where you need to be. Um, but as far as the safety goes, I, our defense, I always tell our guys, you can't be a dummy in our, in our secondary because you're, you're responsible for getting everybody lined up. You're, you know, so I like, uh, intelligent safeties. Uh, I like guys that can grasp what I'm, when I'm grabbing them. So like I, I look at, you know, smarts is, is one thing, you know, and, uh, school smarts is different than regular football smarts, obviously. So in the process, you want to talk to these guys and find out, okay, how much ball do they know? Can they grasp what we're talking about? Um, and so you just kind of pick their brain a little bit and just see how much ball they actually know. Uh, and obviously in, you know, when you want to play man, you got to have a guy that can run and can be, that's athletic and, and can, and can play man coverage. So, uh, that's what we primarily look for. Do you feel like kind of like football smarts is kind of what's most missing when you get uh, people coming in? Yeah. Um, right now, I, I would say there is a lot of guys, and it's just such a weird – it's a weird time, you know, because obviously the guys that have the great – and I'm not saying it's everybody, but there's a lot of guys that um, don't have what we call football acumen. They just have no concept of what football really is, you know, or or how to – you know, they're, they're just out there playing they're not, they're not thinking about things. They're not thinking about, they're just either they've been the best athlete in their high school and they can just run over people or they can just do this, but they're not actually thinking about the game itself. So we're, we're getting an influx of that. And I think everybody is where you have to literally break it down to the smallest. Hey, this is a gap. This is B gap. This is C gap. Hey, this is cover two. This is cover one. This is cover three. This is where you got to be there. These are where you're vulnerable. You know, these are the areas where you have to do. And, you know, this is why we check the release of number one, because if he gives me an outside release, I know he's either going to run a fade or a comeback. If he runs inside, well, he can only run a post, a curl, a dig. Uh, he can run an under route. He can run a slant. I know based on what he runs, where, where he's, you know, what, you know, his release tells me everything, you know? So, and a lot of these guys, either they don't get coached that or they don't pay attention to it because it's a, you know, it's, it's not there. It's not their phone. It's not in their phone. So, right. Yeah. Uh, so that's the, that's the challenge nowadays is just kind of to try and you basically have to reteach the, the whole game to them, which is, which is not, I mean, terrible because it's kind of nice because then they don't necessarily always have bad habits when you have to reteach things and then they go, Oh, well, that makes sense. Okay. Well, good. Then, then we can go. It kind of sharp, it like yeah. sharpens your knowledge too of it. Absolutely. Well, I mean, cause you're constantly reteaching it, you know, yeah. and that's the nice thing. And then, I, there's been times where I sat there and go, God, I, you know, you'll say something and not even think about it and you go, huh, God, that makes so much more sense now that I said it like that than I've been saying it over the years. So you get to refine how you, how you teach these guys. So it's kind of, it, it's a neat deal. It's a neat process because you can, it just makes you better as a coach because you just continue to, you, you kind of keep teaching yourself as it, as it goes along, which is really nice. Is there like a, a safety that you always recommend your players to watch if they want to get better? Uh, well, I always tell them, I, says, I, I always tell them, get off YouTube. <laughs> get off thing. YouTube? I, I tell them to get off YouTube and stop looking at all these, all these guys in the NFL. And then there's all these, uh, these, these profits of how you tell how to play man coverage and all this, that, and the other, and, or how to, how to do this, how to do that. Because there's just so many guys that are out there that are, you know, supposed gurus and stuff like that. It's like, look, man, that's great for whatever scheme he's teaching. That's not boiling up to what we're teaching, you know, and we're teaching to do it this way and play with this technique and try and do this. 
you know, I have no idea what he's teaching you. And and some of them are sound and some of them are very unsound. I've seen some. It's like, don't listen to that guy. But the guys, uh, uh, you know, for the corners, it was, you know, for the longest time, it was Patrick Peterson. They wanted to watch Patrick Peterson and all this stuff. And, and Pat Peterson's always got a, he's got a, a false step right at the beginning. So he backs himself off. Well, they don't think of, well, Pat, he always steps forward before. Yeah, but he's also, number one, he's a freak athlete. He's, he's just an absolute freak. And, you know, he could be one of those players that go out there and just play on ability and, you know, which he doesn't, but he, he could if he wanted to. Um, but they, what they're not seeing is that Pat Peterson's off by a whole another yard and a half. So he can offset that false step, you know, and so we try to explain that to him. And all these kids want to just kind of run up there and get jammed up right off, right at the line of scrimmage. It's like, no, you've got to have reaction time. You know, you got to be able to read what he's doing. Um, so. We tell him to get off YouTube. I, I tell guys, um, the fun ones I always used to say, you know, the, I, I always go to the guys that like, you know, uh, Brian Dawkins was always a good one to go watch. Um, as far as him, and I, I like teaching our guys to look at Ed Reed now. So I look, you know, Ed Reed's an absolute freak, but you look at how Ed Reed would study film and how he would, he, he, he was a, he was a true student of the game. And there's some other guys, obviously, that are, that are true students of the game that, you know, and I, and there's a, there's a, what is it? There's a film breakdown NFL is doing now. And they put, they put some episodes on, somebody's put episodes of, of it on YouTube where it's like, uh, film session breakdowns. Mm-hmm. You see, you know, guys like Melvin Gordon. There's, uh, 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 Buddha Baker was a fun one to watch. And so they, they literally get them in there and they're, they're watching film. It's, it's funny. You, you know, sit there and you watch. I tell our guys, go watch all these guys. And they, they talk about what they're doing and they're breaking down exactly why they did this and why they did that. And like just the infinite amount of film study they did that took to understand, Hey, I knew from film study that he was going to do this and he was going to do that. And I tell him, go watch. I say, these guys that are in the NFL, they're not stupid. <laughs> I mean, they're not just out there playing on athletic ability alone. They, they're, they're studying film. They're watching these guys and they're just, they're, they're sharp, you know, there, there's no dummies in the NFL league. There's just, there's just not, you know, at a safety position or, or a DB position, you know, if you, and so we watch those all the time with our guys and I said, you know, so they can hear it from a different perspective. Um, but yeah, those are the guys that, you know, so and there's, there's tons of them, you know, uh, Mika Fitzpatrick's on one of them and, uh, Xavier Rhodes and all these, all these guys are on there. So it's, so it's good for them because a lot of these guys they look up to and these are, these are legends. This is where they want to be. And so they get to watch that. So I tell them to watch those, those episodes, but not the, all the, the highlights and stuff like that. Right. Did you ever see the uh, Ed Reed video where it was a playoff game again? I don't know if it was a playoff game, but he was going against Peyton Manning mm-hmm. and he was talking about how they would run, they would run this route where, um, someone in the slot would go up the seam and then they would have a, I think a post route. And basically he was trying to get Ed Reed to follow the seam and then hit the post. Yeah. But and Ed Reed got it. Yeah. Yeah. And like, and yeah, so Ed goes with the seam, but trying to trick Payne to think he's going that way, but then he reverses and picks off the pass on the yeah. post. I mean, it's, it's in that kind of like film study. And obviously you need that sort of athleticism to go along with it, oh. but you get to see the way the guy is able to dissect and kind of beat Payne at his own game was incredible. Yeah. Yes, and and, that, and that's what it turned into. And that's, I always loved the, watching those games growing up um, with with Ray Lewis and, and Ed Reed, and they go against Peyton. And then you just talked about you talked about how many checks were made at those line of scrimmage. You know, Peyton would check to something, and you see Ray going up there and shifting people and moving them, and 
I mean, that was, that was a chess match, man. It was, it was fun to watch those games and you just sit there and just go, wow. Just, I mean, it was just, it, those, those types of games are fun to watch. Oh yeah, though that's why I used to love watching the New England uh, Colts games. Yep. I mean, it was always you know Brady versus Manning, but you know watching Manning going against that defense because you know that defense never finished probably top five in terms of like statistics. Well, maybe a couple times, but they were always versatile and they always had like the play when you needed it, and they were just, just like they would shift and just make pain go nuts at times. Oh yeah, absolutely. So I mean, it was yeah that that uh, yeah. That Patriots defense was pretty sick. It was pretty yeah. good. But yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll always be a Ravens fan, though. That dude, that dude's fun to watch. He was always fun to watch. Yeah. Yeah. He was an animal. So like, what, what is your like, uh, end goal? I mean, have you thought about what you want to do in the profession, what you want to accomplish? Uh, I mean, yeah, obviously, you know, you, you sit there and, you know, I, I've been at this level. You think about things. It's like, you know, D1 is always a fun dream to think about and, and, and go and, and do that. And that would be nice. You know, uh, do I want to be a D one coordinator one day? I don't know. Maybe that'd be fun, but depends on where you're at. But at the same time, the being here, it's like, I have a life and I, I enjoy my life. You know, and I, I love my son. I love my wife. I love being able to spend some time with them. Um, which is awesome, you know, and I wouldn't trade that for, I don't think any job to where I would never see them or barely see them ever, you know? Um, I like, you know, I'd love to get an SCS job. I think that would be a lot of fun too. Not that they don't work or anything like that, but I'd love to get on. I think that level would be the next one I would try and jump to if I could. And then, uh, you know, FBS is FBS. And if you can get on there, that'd be great. And just for experience, but you know, I don't know. We'll see. I it's just, it'll be good to see. I mean, I got friends that are FBS. I got a buddy that I was a GA with. He's now the running backs coach at Michigan state. And we've talked a few times about, you know, he gets a job somewhere and he's like, yeah, I got you. And that's not a problem. And, you know, just, but I mean, it's just a matter of time and opportunity. And if somebody gets a job that, you know, and if they need you, they need you. If they don't, then it is what it is at that point. But would you try to be a coordinator at the FCS level? I think, I mean, eventually I think it would be fun to try and just go and do, but you know, there's a lot of work that goes with it. And, you know, I understand that I'm not, I'm afraid to work by any means, but um, but yeah, I think a FCS level would be fun to try and be a, a coordinator at that level and go from there. So cool, man. Well, do you want to tell people where they can follow you, where they can kind of like get any of your, uh, ideas about football, anything like that? Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm on Twitter. It's just, uh, it's a uh, Buko underscore Tensky. That's T I N S K I. Just kind of a little thing I've, I've created with our, our players and stuff like that. So, um, but yeah, that's, that's me. That's, uh, it's a little skull with wings. I'm a big Avenge Sevenfold fan. So it's basically that little death bat with a little purple hue on it. That's my picture. So don't get scared off if that's what you see. But I mean, yeah, I'm always down to talk with anybody and everybody about, I like talking ball. I can sit there all day and just talk about ball and, you know, get on the whiteboard and do stuff like that. So yeah. Good stuff, man. Well, dude, I'm glad you decided to come on the show, man. Absolutely. Really fun talking to you. Yeah. It's a lot of fun, man. You got a, had a good time. I yeah, appreciate it. Yeah, I'm glad, man. You take it easy, all right? Best of luck.